All right, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And one of the elders asked me last week, or this morning, how did, how did you manage to get through these verses last week and skip verse 13? Well, that's a good question. I don't know how I did that last week, but we did because it was too much to talk about with idolatry. But we were not skipping chapter uh, verse 13 because it is a massively important verse in our lives. So we're going to spend time in it today. Let me just back up just a little bit. We're going to start reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. If you're new to our gatherings on Sunday mornings, we typically study through books of the Bible. And so God has inspired his word. It's going to take us to places that we needed to go, whether we recognize we needed to look at some of these verses or not. So we just read through God's word most of the times on Sunday mornings and study through. We've been in Corinthians for quite a while. These folks have become our friends, our neighbors, and they are so much like us, aren't they? And they were very helpful to each of us. All right, let me back up to verse 11, and I'm going to read more than I'm going to get to today, but the context I think is very important. Chapter 10, verse 11. Now, these things happened to them as an example. They were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, lest anyone thinks that he stands, take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you. That's not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break. Is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we are all partakers of the one body. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Let's pray for just a moment. Lord, you have, we know you've done this and you've clearly said it in this passage. You have recorded these things for our instruction. Thousands of years removed from these settings, living in a different technology, living in times that feel completely different, yet these words have never expired, they've never gone out of date, they've never become irrelevant. They were written down for us. And we need your help to see how they matter to us right now in each of our lives. So Lord, we are here to hear. Holy Spirit, help us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm stealing my title from the admonition in verse 12. To let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. So these are lessons in standing. 
Now, maybe you're here this morning, you've been a Christian for a long time. I know a lot of you, and you have been a Christian for a long time. And so at some point, we're interested in more than standing. We'd like to run. We'd like to leap. We'd like to do amazing things. We'd like something deep on spiritual warfare. We'd like to advance the kingdom. We'd like to do something amazing. And here we're just going to talk about standing. Just standing as a Christian. But if you guys have ever played sports or you grew up as a musician, you know that there's certain things that you learn right at the beginning that basically if you get those wrong, you'll have a really hard time ever doing whatever it is you're trying to learn. Right? If, you, if your baseball stance is wrong, you're going to have fits trying to hit that ball that's coming at you really, really fast. So your coach works with you a lot on stance, right? I played golf and tennis growing up and, you know, they just took a lot of time to teach you how to stand before you did anything. Just your weight and your body posture and some of my kids have played instruments and you learn to play strings. I remember one of them for for a whole year. I kept wondering, is this teacher ever going to teach anything? Like for a whole year, how to hold the instrument. For a whole year? Really? Uh, Well, it's pretty important that you hold it right, apparently. Well, there's some things for us that just have to do with standing as a Christian. We're going to walk with God. We're going to do amazing things. But the Bible's concerned that we just don't fall over as Christians. So one thing this verse does for us is it keeps us from assuming that we're going to stand. It highlights you might not. Can I just tell you from reading the Bible and then from living my own life, can I tell you standing is not guaranteed. Falling is probably guaranteed. At some point and in some ways, you're going to experience falling. And and that's what Paul is concerned about here. And he's going to say something here Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. All right, well, take heed of that point, but take heed of what? Well, he just got finished saying that we have been given examples and instructions from God's inspired word about things that we need to know and we need to hold them carefully into our lives. We need to take heed what we've heard. Take it to heart. Well, let me just say this though. Before you take anything, you take heed of anything, you actually have to hear something. This is a giant assumption for many of us. You know, I don't know how young some of us are in our walk with the Lord. But are you hearing enough of the word of God to even take heed of it? Or do you even know what the Bible says in certain categories of life? Right? I know we, you may have come to Christ. If you came to Christ in the last 10 years, it came to Christ in the information age. There's a lot of information out there. There's a lot for you to know. There's a lot of news feeds and apps and information that's coming your way. And it's acting like it's really critical that you know that. But you know, that's not what Paul is asking you to take heed of. If you want to stand, you're going to need to take heed of what God has said. God has said a lot about a lot of things in our lives. It will not serve us to be ignorant of them. Take heed of God's word. Now, this is a pretty critical insight. This this warning that you might fall over. 
Because quite honestly, uh, it, it, seems, it seems more so. I think some of you guys who have cared for God's people for many years would probably agree with me. It seems there are more Christians today that are surprised and caught off guard by how hard life can be than what used to be. You know, life has always been hard. And we'll see today there's reasons for that. But it it seems as though today we're living in a time where that hardness surprises us. Just kind of shocked by, man, this is hard. Right? And you fill in the blanks here, right, of what it is that, that right now you feel in your life is hard. It just seems like for a lot of people living the Christian life today, being content, having joy, is hard. It, it just seems to not be as common of an experience as, as maybe it should be. The activities of our lives, they, they, they feel hard today. Parenting feels hard. It's always been hard, but I'm just we're surprised by how hard. Marriage. Marriage feels, can I just tell you, marriage feels off the charts hard for people today. In a way that I, I'm just telling you, I've been doing this for a long time. I've been meeting with people for a lot of years. I don't recall the responses to marriage 20 and 30 years ago that we're seeing now. It's so this thing has undergone something of a shift and change to where it feels harder to do today. People come in like they're shocked in a way that they weren't shocked before. And and I don't think it's that different. Relationships, the lack of relationships feels hard. Loneliness feels hard. Right? These things are hard places to live in. And when, when life feels that way, it can become very tempting and very easy to fall over. Just you're, you're trying to do life. Just standing in those places can be a, a tough place. So Paul kind of mentions here in this little running paragraph, uh, this section, maybe some falling factors that are in this section, right? And I'm not even going to attempt to get to all of them. The first one's going to hold our attention the whole time, right? So there's, he immediately runs into temptation. He's already talked about idolatry. So one of the things that makes it hard for you and I to stand is, is idolatry. Idolatry is available to us. Idolatry works in our lives. The communion of the saints gets featured here. We just celebrated communion. Evan tried to help us see that it's, it's much more than just a meal. And it was more than that for them as well. It was a matter of Standing and falling is going to be affected by how we do life together. And, and what I'll call it ignorant participation in demons. Right? These guys are participating in idolatry in Corinth. And much like the Old Testament saints participated in idolatry. Paul comes along and says, hey, you know, it's, it's, got, a, it's got a face on it. But what's behind the face is demons. There's a demonic realm behind what you're calling this idolatrous pursuit. Behind that realm is demons. Did you know that there are demons in our world? They, they live and do things and interact with our lives. That, you know, the storefront for demons doesn't always say demons over it. <laughs> Sometimes it's featuring something else. But Paul says, out of ignorance. I don't want you to be ignorant, brother. I, 
you could be trafficking and interacting with demonic forces that are doing stuff in your life that are making standing harder. And so this is helpful insights from the Apostle Paul. But I just want to camp out in this first one because it's such a massive feature. If sin is common to our lives, temptation is even more so. Because, you know, when you're tempted, you don't always sin. But most of the time when there has been sin, there's already been temptation, right? So temptation is as common or more common to our lives than sin. So let me just ask us some questions moving into this. Little paragraph in your outline there says, what is temptation? Is temptation sin? You get right up face to face with something tempting and alluring and really grabbing your attention. Is that sin? Does temptation mean I'm failing or living a life that displeases God? Here this morning, maybe I've been severely tempted lately. What does that mean? What, What does temptation teach me about myself? When I become tempted, maybe I'm tempted in ways that you aren't tempted. Maybe you're tempted in ways that I've never been. So what does temptation teach me about myself? What does it teach me about the world and my strategy for living life? These are just some questions for us to ponder. We'll ponder them together. So what is temptation? I'm going to primarily seek to answer that question and interact with, with how temptation interacts with our lives. Right. So first... Chapter, verse 13 comes right out and says, temptation is common to man. Temptation is a common feature of every human being sitting in this auditorium together this morning. Of every person who's gone before us and every person who'll come after us, every person on planet earth. There has never been a human being who has not experienced temptation. Temptation is common but not identical from person to person, right? Thank God for the variety of lives that are here this morning. All right, so there are, there are children that are in our midst, young people. There are teenagers in our midst, and they are experiencing temptation. All right, so your mind right now can begin to fill that in, right? What, what, is it, what kind of temptations are faced by teenagers? And you fast forward a little bit. What kind of temptations get faced by college students and young adults? What kind of temptations get faced by young couples and young families? Different set, right? Did you you notice there's probably a massive difference between that and the teenage version of temptation? You guys remember living life? Fast forward and you've got people in midlife. Midlife has a different set of temptations that come. Life feels differently and issues are different. Maybe you're a widow here this morning. You walked in the building facing a set of temptations that I can almost promise you the teenager who walked past you doesn't get you at all. You're struggling. You've you've stumbled. Maybe you had to get up from having fallen this week as a widow because there's a, a list of things that are tempting for you. And they touch your life in a particular way as you do life as a single person at 65 or 70 years old. That the college student here isn't paying attention to that ever. They're not ever tempted in those categories. But you are. 
right? And this is, this is informative, especially as we move through what's presented in this passage, that, that you and I have a responsibility for those who are overtaken by temptation. I'll just make a brief point about that. But man, I just find, I, I find a level of disinterest. I find that we only get energized when we get around somebody who's just like us. I can relate to your temptation, so therefore I can come to life and, I, and I'll be a part of what you're trafficking in. But, but you know, we're called to the body of Christ. So sometimes I'm called to walk with somebody who's tempted in ways that I don't get at all. I don't, I don't get your temptation. It doesn't show up in my life ever. But yet I'm called to care about you in that. And so we, we probably could grow a good bit in that category. But temptation is common. Craig Bloomberg and his... Commentary says the circumstances that tempt us to sin are never qualitatively different from those which God's people of every era have experienced. And, and we never have to give in to them. There's always an escape hatch, which is defined as a way to persevere without sinning in whatever difficult situation we find ourselves. All right, so... Don't have to give in to that. Doesn't back you off of your argument of, well, you don't know what I'm going through. Right? Because right now, you're going through something that, that feels very difficult. And that's, that's part of the land of temptation. It's not tempting if it's not alive and, and, and reaching for you and touching you and interacting with you. So you, you should feel like you ought to be pushing back against me right now. And say, so wait, 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 wait. You don't understand what I'm going through. Right? And... Craig does a little bit of that in his comment here. He says, yet lest we become too cynical, verse 13 should offer great hope for those painfully aware of their fragile spiritual status. We live in an age with unparalleled developments of technology, unprecedented amounts of information, new physical and emotional diseases, natural disasters, and human warfare. When we realize that these factors cause suffering on a scale never before known in human history, it's reassuring to know that the temptations believers face are not new. Right? Temptation didn't just come on the scene. Volume of life changed. You and I are interacting with more stuff and problems and situations and people's information. But the nature of temptation has not changed while our, our life and technology has The external circumstances may differ, but the spiritual dynamics remain unchanged. The human propensity to see my problem as different or worse than what anyone else has experienced is decisively debunked. Do you know who you are in this moment right now as we read that? Are are you a person who's convinced your situation is going to be the exception to anything we talk about today? Your temptation that, that you give into and that you're trapped in in some sin element is because you don't know the people in my world. They're not in your world. You don't know what I went through growing up. You don't know what these last two years have been like. Listen, all of us want to make that argument, right? Why is it that we want to talk our way out of the promises of God? What's in us that wants to do that? That God has truth that's relevant to every moment of our lives. But we'd rather raise an argument against that and say, not mine. You don't understand. I'm unique. My situation 
No other human being has been through. You know, this stuff applies to everybody. So kind of let down that guard a little bit this morning and realize I'm not in a situation where these things aren't true. The contemporary trend to blame the way I am on God, parents, society, or the devil, rather than acknowledging that our own sinful natures are the most direct causes of our disobedience also runs counter to this text. But if you ever wanted a moment where you could see this, you have to just watch sin in its moment where it makes its debut. It comes on the scene in the Garden of Eden. Do you remember the setting of the Garden of Eden? Right. So temptation doesn't show up on the day where Adam and Eve just had a big fight. They weren't getting along. Again. Adam, that selfish, workaholic, neglectful husband, had just served up the worst existence for Eve. She's vulnerable to temptation. God is nowhere to be found. God feels so distant. God doesn't feel near to me. The economy has crashed. We just lost our job. We're going to be out on the street soon. We have a health diagnosis. You understand... That's not Eden, is it? Everything's humming along in harmony in Eden. Everything's going great. God is exactly where God is supposed to be. Everything is working as it should. It's a perfect day on earth. And temptation makes its debut. And you would have thought, no way. All right, so if you and I had a conversation, knowing what Eden was, knowing who God is, knowing the environment that's there, and we, and we were going to check the odds that temptation is going to win in its debut game of the season, would you bet on temptation in that moment? I, I would not have. I would have thought, no way. Nevertheless, there's that word again, right? Nevertheless, temptation shows up and goes 1-0, starts the season off with a win. In an environment where no one had anything to complain about. And we, we don't have those factors, right? We live in a different world than the one that Adam and Eve were in when temptation made its debut. How careful must we be in this category? If the story of temptation's success begins in the Garden of Eden with factors that don't exist anymore for humanity. This is a challenging topic, right? All right, so first, it's common to man. Yeah, there, there's, it's everywhere. Second, it, it interacts with our humanity, right? When temptation shows up, it's going to interact with the things that make you human, and not just any kind of human, a fallen human being. So there are things in us There are things that are a part of us by nature just because we're human that you and I will never escape. You could read your Bible. You could quit your job, move somewhere, pray and fast every day, read your Bible all day long, do everything you could possibly think to do to be obedient to God, and you would not fend off temptation. Because there's no escaping being human. And temptation will come for your humanity. There are, there are drives in you. 
sleep drive, sex drive, hunger drive. You'll face temptations in these areas. There is limitation in you and even as a New Testament Christian, there is a sense of disconnection from God's life that we feel that makes us stare out at life and feel inadequate, vulnerable, afraid. That's your humanity talking. That's your broken humanity talking. It's not at peace with everything that's going on in your world. It can't possibly be. It looks at life and it feels vulnerable. That could happen to me. It happened to so-and-so. I mean, don't you shop and find this stuff on a regular basis? So you and I know the vulnerability that's in us. That's our, that's our broken humanity. Temptation, when it comes, that's what it's going for. It's going to seek to interact with that. So part of our world... In a broken setting, and our humanity means temptation is going to be a neighbor. And he's going to interact with us for the rest of our lives. Look at this verse in Genesis chapter 3. A couple of insights. I hope this is insightful because temptation is an everyday ordeal. If we don't get some help to heed some of what God says, we're just going to have a hard time facing it every day. Right, so here's some helpful insights, I hope. Here's the debut of temptation. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 says, When... The woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit and ate. She gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. When the woman saw, I, I, I think this is a unique kind of seeing. I think this is an awareness. I think this is a curiosity seeing. I think this is, this is seeing something more than just acknowledging its existence. You know, at this point, we don't know how long Adam and Eve have been in the garden. Was it a week since God created them? Was it thousands of years? All right, we don't know. We do know this. At some point, God tells them, see that tree over there? All the other trees, everything else that I've given you, help yourself. But you see that one right there? Don't, don't eat from that one. I don't, I think they've already seen the tree. But she saw the tree now. She saw it differently. She saw it through different eyes. See, this, this is what temptation is going to tap into. When it shows up, you're going to see things that you've been overlooking Maybe for years. But you're just in a different place now. A little different humanity on the scene for us. And suddenly we see something. And this is the worst kind of seeing, by the way. This is the absolute worst kind of seeing. Because it sees something personally only. Be, be aware, and I know I harp on this a lot, because I can't outsay how much the culture is telling you this. Be aware you're being taught on a regular basis to see life personally. To see, this has got to be right for you. To see things that make sense to you. To see things that, that feature what's best for you. Well, that's the kind of seeing that Eve does right here. She sees that tree, and look what she sees. She sees something that's good for food, a delight to the eyes. 
desirable to make one wise. She sees personal advantage in this tree in a way that she hadn't seen before. That's what she sees. You know what she doesn't see here in that moment? The glory of God and the purpose of God. See, this is an interesting thing to pull into our interactions with temptation. Temptation presents something for us to see and then it asks us to personally consider how beneficial it's going to be. What it doesn't do is it doesn't pull God's purpose into that conversation and saying, how does this work in God's purpose for you? That's not part of her seeing in this moment. But just be aware, when sin shows up on the doorstep of your life, it's not going to have a conversation with you about what's good for the glory of God. What's good to fit into God's plan? What did God have in store? Why did God purpose these things? That won't be part of temptation's presentation to you. It's going to be all about you And what's personally good for you. And it's going to tap into the flavors that you like. The styles that you like. And the way that you like. And the advantage that this could be to you. And it won't bring up anybody else. Unless. You don't want to know the only other time temptation brings up anybody else. Is when there's an advantage in it for you. With anybody else being in the conversation. Oh, this would help me with this too. And that would help them, which would ultimately help me. I mean, this is the only time temptation brings other people up. Not for the sake of God's purpose in their lives, but for the sake of how their lives can serve you. This is what temptation's doing. So when when it knocks on your door this afternoon, can you make sure you know whatever it wants you to see, this is what it wants you to feel when you see it. A world of temptation. First John chapter 2 verse 15 informs us that we live in a world of temptation. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. In other words, don't set your affections on the things of the world. Don't put your life yoked to and dependent upon these things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh... The lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. Listen, you and I, we are not in Eden anymore. This is not Eden. And the world has become corrupted by sin, and we are corrupted by sin. So our relationship with the world, uh, it's corrupted, and it's complicated. So be careful that you just assume that anything is available to you in any way. You no, no. Everything in the world is corrupted. It's off course. It's been reprogrammed. It will do things that are unpredictable. And by the way, you will too. So, so things that were meant to be a, a means of enjoyment in our life become a means of addiction in our lives. Most people are addicted to things they enjoy, by the way, right? But it's enjoyment off the rails. Be aware. That's the potential that's in me and you. When we get in connection with the world. You have to be careful about how you're going to interact with the world. People. People are in our lives by God's design. People are in our lives. Family. Parents. Friends. 
But you know, it's a strange step to relate to those people. They go from people that we are to enjoy and care for and partner with to people that we begin to use. We use people, don't we? If you've ever been honest with yourself to recognize how, how you might be doing that, how you use people in your life. Be careful. Temptation comes and it, and it plays with the broken things on both sides of that aspect of our lives. Family relationships, right? What was supposed to be a precious relationship could be the, the worst enemies you've got in this world. Because the world is broken. And temptation is out there in this broken world. But temptation is not just out there. This last thought, personal vulnerability to temptation. Temptation is not just out there. Temptation is in here. And this is kind of related to what we talked about in the idol category. But James really kind of explains this to us. James chapter 1 verse 13. He says, let no one say when he is being tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. His own desire. Right? You've got your own signature edition desires inside of you. You are an original. You want it to be original? You want it to be told you're special? Here's your moment. You have special desires that uniquely are yours. And they're going to want to go off the leash at times. They're going to want things their way. They're going to want to be answered. They're going to demand to be answered. They're going to push at you from the inside. And temptation has an ally in that moment. It comes and it helps your desires to find what it's looking for. James says in verse 15, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. Right? This is, this is the anatomy of temptation, isn't it? Right? Temptation gets involved before something becomes sin. Temptation is back here. Temptation shows up and it's shopping. It pulls your file. You're known. There are certain desires. I think I'll use this one today and that one today in order to tempt someone. And that's what happens here. Desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. Sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. That's James' warning. But remember, when we're back here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where there is this warning of falling and this call to heed and this temptation, the next verse is, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Well, you read that verse together with James chapter 1 and you find out why there is a necessity to flee from idolatry because when temptation shows up, it needs your willingness. It needs what you want. If it's going to start negotiating with you, it's got to start in a place where you're vulnerable to agree with it. And that's going to be in the category of your desires. And desires are what are related to idolatry. Idolatry functions deep within us. So the need for us in this moment is not just to don't do that behavior and don't do that behavior. No, the need is to flee idolatry. The cultivating of these desires on the inside of us. All right, third, what is temptation? Well, temptation is something that will overtake you. That's an interesting word, and it's a very helpful word in terms of the way it's presented here. The Greek word means means for something to take or to seize. 
right? But it's translated overtaken more than once. So let me just make this point to us because sometimes temptation, the fact that you're experiencing it can make you feel dirty, can make you be self-accusing, can make you live in a sense of condemnation, even if you haven't given in to the temptation. The fact that you're just being tempted. The fact that it comes to your life and touches you and can somehow surprise us like, you know, what does that say about me? Um, well, it could say some troubling things, but it, it might not. You, you can be living life as God has called you to live in a way that is God-pleasing, doing the things that God's called you to do, and temptation can overtake you. Can, can you just go back to the Garden of Eden with me for a moment? There's no history that Adam and Eve had slowed up the pace so bad that finally temptation caught up with them. It seems as though temptation simply runs faster than every one of us. It will catch you. It will overtake you at some moment. And that's just a fact of the land that we live in. Listen, Jesus was tempted. Not because he slowed up. Not because he didn't do what was right. Jesus, you've just done what was right. How many of y'all would tell Jesus this? All right, he comes out of the wilderness, right? We're going to read this passage in just a second. He's experienced extreme temptation in the wilderness. He's going to experience extreme temptation later on. How many of y'all would just tell Jesus? Well, I don't know, Jesus, probably not, probably not praying enough. I don't know. When was the last time you were in your word? Just saying. Anybody want to sit down and have a counseling meeting with Jesus that feels like this? Might we be educated to know that temptation ran down the Son of God and overtook him? And I almost feel right now some of you guys are going, whoa, this is, I haven't heard Keith get heretical very often, hopefully. <laughs> this sounds heretical. No, no, because temptation is not sin. Temptation is the birthplace of activity that gives way to sin. But temptation in and of itself is not sin. This is why you shouldn't feel, I'm being tempted in a certain way. Okay, let's face the facts of that. Let's do what we need to do. But don't, don't feel soiled by that in the wrong way, right? Jesus, Luke chapter 4, verse 1, says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit... Right? Jesus led by the Spirit into the place where he's about to be tempted. He's exactly where he's supposed to be. Return from the Jordan was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. It's the landscape of life. Don't anybody here think somehow you're going to create the ultimate Christian life that's going to make temptation go away. That day is not coming. You're going to have to heed these words for the rest of your life in this world. And he ate nothing during those days. When they had ended, he became hungry. Why was that? Well, because he was human. That's why he became hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written... The things that were written down for our example and our instruction. He knew them. 
In the moment of temptation, he had something to heed in his life. Man shall not live on bread alone. And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said to him, I'll give you all this domain and its glory. For it has been handed over to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it will be yours. Do you notice, right, the devil hasn't changed much since the garden. There's no mention here of what God had in mind. Of what would be ultimately truly good. Of what would be glorious for God. That's just left out of the temptation here. This is just about, hey, Jesus, I can make this work for you, man. I can fulfill you. Just follow me here. Jesus answered him. It's written. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Right? If Eve had said that in that moment... All of human history would be different. Verse 9, and he led him to Jerusalem. Had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up. So that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. See, temptation never goes away. Just plans on when to come back. What's interesting watching Jesus here, you see temptation reach out to seek to touch his humanity. Hungry Jesus? Bet you are. There's a piece of our humanity that just is always available. How many people do some things that you just regret doing because you're lonely? Temptation comes and it reaches out and it grabs your loneliness and it goes, lonely? How's that feel? How about this? It, it, It grabbed a place that was weak and vulnerable in a moment of our lives and offered something in that. That's exactly what he does with Jesus. He even does this with the Son of God. But then there are certain dimensions here that are just kind of tailor-made for the individual. I'm pretty sure none of us are going to get faced with the rest of the temptations here. I don't think the devil's ever coming to you to offer you all the kingdoms of the world. Sorry. Hope you're not insulted. That's not a deal he's willing to make with you. But it was an appropriate temptation for the Son of God because that really is in reach of him. All the kingdoms of this world are to be his. God's means of arranging that was through the cross. Satan's means was right there in the wilderness. I give it to you now, man. You want it? Now listen... That's, that's an interesting thing to observe about Jesus' life. But, but where it's interesting for us is you got your own and I have my own little kingdom that the devil can offer to me. It's not quite as big as Jesus, but it's still mine and I think much of it. <laughs> and he can come and he'll come for you and he'll find out what little piece of kingdom matters to you and he'll tailor make that and temptation will come and it will talk to you about that 
a lot. Right? And as I said this last week, do, are you aware of these things about yourself? Or are you always caught off guard when temptation comes that it shows up in predictable places? Did you, did, could, can you predict where temptation is going to come this week for you? I'm, really, I want you to think about that for a second. You to think about this week that's coming. In which ways am I pretty sure temptation is going to show up? If right now you're sitting there going, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't really thought about that. Oh, well, that's your problem. <laughs> I'm telling you today, temptation is coming. You might want to be prepared when the house guest arrives. He's going to show up. He's going to have an argument. He's going to have a, an angle. He's going to show up at an opportune time. So when he does show up, you might be suspicious. Well, well what made this the right time for this dude to show up right now? Why is he here right now? Well, because it's an opportune time. Well, I didn't know it was an opportune time. Well, it doesn't matter whether you knew it was an opportune time. It just matters whether he knows it's an opportune time. And he's searching for that. So there's a strategy to living in this world because we will never, outside of heaven, have an existence where temptation is not part of our existence. Go back to that thought of being overtaken for a second. Right? We fast forward into the New Testament and Paul instructs the churches in this matter because people get run down by temptation. And not only get run down by temptation, that temptation turns into sin. And others are called to engage that moment. Right, so I just want to make a quick point on this. Galatians chapter 6 uses this word in a similar, similar form of the word. In Galatians 6 verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in, that's the word overtaken, any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if Anyone thinks he is something, if anyone thinks that he stands, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Take heed lest he fall. Does this sound familiar? This is Paul trafficking in some Holy Spirit revelation that just has the same kind of elements in it. This thought that at some point, right, that word that gets translated there, it, it in Galatians 6, 1, the point is surprise. Being betrayed into a fault unawares. I was just doing life. I was just walking. You know, maybe I was, I was even jogging. And I got run down from behind. I, would, I didn't even see it coming. That's what's being described here. And next thing you know, I was in over my head. And there was temptation involved. And I gave in to that temptation. This is, this is a humbling concept here. And, and, and it begins, the admonition that we frame the message out of is, is a humbling plea. To, you know, you think you stand. You think you stand. You, you, you think you're on ground. You think something about you and the uniqueness of who you are, the specialness of who you are, the discipline of who you are. Somehow protects you from temptation. Temptation is faster than your best day of discipline. It will run you down. 
And that's humbling. Because, you know, I, I get in this room, there are certain things you can get run down by that are, are loud and everybody kind of ends up knowing about them. You know? Pride can be loud and can be angry. It can be demonstrative. And everybody will know about that. When you get run down by pride, it'll show up in a way that it begins to fall out on other people in your life. Pornography. Scandalous sins that run people down. So we might be aware here, we're listening to this message and we, yeah, we know people this applies to. Does it apply to all of us? If your category is not pride or pornography, does it apply? Do you get run down by gluttony anytime? Laziness? How many people are in this room who know you ought to do something, you just don't do it? Right, those, are, those are the sweet sins, aren't they? Because they're kind of hard to find. The ones where you're clearly, there's the line, watch this. Watch it again. The people who stay in bounds, but they just don't do what they're supposed to do. Those people get away with murder in their hearts. You know who you are. You have a self-righteous attitude because, I don't know, I don't understand how he did that again. He did that, he stepped over the line again. And you get so self-righteous and you get all brewed up about that. Well, the dude stepping over the line is looking at you going, I don't understand how you can't get off your butt and do anything. (laughs) Oh yeah, sure, you never do anything wrong, but you never do anything right either. Look at all the things that God's called you to in your life. You just don't get around to doing them over and over and over again. Do you know that's temptation and sin too? That counts. And what it would do is if I were to let it count, when somebody gets overtaken by a sin that's not in my category, my own categories would nudge me and go, he's like you, Keith. He's just like you. Instead of going, oh, dare. Oh, thought he was a Christian. Unbelievable. Yes, I am, unfortunately. I do things that are just unbelievable given what I know, given who God has shown himself to be and the categories that I can be tempted and give in in. And then this verse turns around and calls on us to take action, right? Brothers, if someone's caught, they're overtaken. Keep a watch on yourself, but you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. How many people do you know that have been overtaken by sin? Have you gone to restore them? We folded our arms in shock, horror, righteousness. Hardly say it's righteousness. N.T. Wright says, at any moment, the great hero of faith, the man or woman who has won battles in prayer, the person who has given their all for a particular venture of the gospel may be suddenly and horribly vulnerable. Anyone who thinks they are standing should watch out in case they fall over. As the old age and the new grind against one another like two tectonic plates, right? That's where we are right now. We are not yet in heaven, but we are not in the old anymore. We are in this age where we are on the verge of what God's about to do. Those who think they are standing firm one minute may find a moral earthquake happening all around them. 
And if they're not careful, they'll end up flat on their faces. Being aware of that should make my heart go out to people. That their lives can shift in such a way that they become vulnerable and overtaken by sin. Do I run to them in compassion as a fellow human being who gets it? Man, I get it. I mean, that, your category may not be my category, but I get it. I know what it's like for temptation to come to me in a moment that was opportune. It found me and I gave in. Well, we should know that for one another. All right, last important category here. God is faithful, right? Verse 13, no temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful. God is faithful. All right, so while temptation's going on, while dysfunction in the world, by, by that sin and corruption is at the doorstep, while all that's going on and you and I are experiencing all that we experience in that moment, what's going on with God in that moment throughout that entire season is he is always being faithful. And I know sometimes it doesn't feel that way when temptation is, is roaring at us. And it's, it's finding advantage over us. In that moment, we start to feel like God is not faithful. But the Bible quickly says, there's temptation, but God is faithful in that moment. Let me just do a quick language adjustment here. Because this verse, I think, gets distorted and misused in ways. People go through all kinds of trials, suffering, and temptation settings. And they kind of sum this verse up in a way that I think is not helpful. Not going to completely attack the language. Well, I know God won't give me more than I can handle. All right, just stick with me for a second because that verse does kind of sound that way, doesn't it? This is where you need to have read more of the Bible than just this verse. When you read the Bible, do you find that God doesn't give people more than they can handle? Just curious. find God giving people more than they can handle like on a regular basis chronically there are situations for the people of God that they can't handle that they're outnumbered that they need a miracle that God's gonna have to show up in that supernaturally impart something to those people God designed human beings to not be self-sufficient we're created to need God's impartation to do life Every day is designed to be more than I can handle. (laughs) If you have managed to pull off a life that you can handle, I can guarantee you're living in sin. (laughs) Everything's in harmony. It all works great. Uh, Well, then you're out of the will of God. I'm just telling you. If your life doesn't drive you in faith to trust God, to look to God, to say, God... This doesn't make any sense. That right there looks like uh, if I step on the water, I drowned. But you said walk on the water. You know, God, yeah, Sam and I talked about this the other day, right? God calling you out of the water. It, would Peter turn around and say, well, yes, God wouldn't give me anything that I can't handle. <laughs> really, Peter, when was the last time you walked on water, buddy? <laughs> God won't give you anything that he can't handle in you. Amen. Right? And listen, I know well, you're straining at gnats. No, I'm not. Because the first way you said it featured you and your abilities. 
And this way features the dependency that we have to look to God for everything in our lives, which is how we're supposed to be doing this. But notice something else here. Make this last point. We're going to pray together in a minute. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also, right? He will do something. Provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. All right, wait a minute. Which is it? Do I get to escape? Or do I get to endure? Yes. (laughs) Craig Blomberg says, we never have to give in to temptation. No one makes us sin. Certain factors may generate greater temptations for some individuals than for others, as with the exponential increase of dysfunctional families in our day, but ultimately, we are accountable for our own free choices. And for believers, one of those choices remains to accept God's escape hatch from sin. God's. Our culture would rewrite the end of verse 13 so that it said, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you don't have to stand up under it any longer. That's not what that verse says, is it? But that, of course, is the opposite of what God actually inspired Paul to write. So there are moments in, in temptation where the path ahead could be escaping or enduring temptation. You know, it's a great example in God's people, one set of people, same set of people, is the Israelites in Egypt. Tempted, crying out to God, tempted in all kinds of ways, fear. Moses shows up. And they escape that temptation. That day is over. They will never be in Egypt again. However, they had endured for over 400 years. And both of those were God. God was faithful through that whole event. And there was a moment of enduring. And there was a moment of escaping. And there are things that are going to be in our lives that are like that. There are, there are moments when God suddenly just brings something to an end. Shuts the door on that. That thing's done. And we escape that temptation. That's how God was dealing with us. And there are moments when we are going to endure. We're, we're, we're going to have to get something different. To just stay in this setting. To face some of these elements. Elements of fear and despair. And dealing with our vulnerability and our feelings. Maybe God's not being unfaithful to us if we don't get to escape that moment. Because the Bible says he may be faithful to us by having us to endure that season of temptation. Right? Remember this from Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1? It says, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. That we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. 
So Peter stands, uh, Paul stands at one moment and says, we're facing these circumstances that are so tempting us to believe that there's no end in sight. There's nothing good can come from this. We're despairing of life itself. And then he realizes there's a reason for enduring this because God is up to something. He's making us to rely on him. So there are moments in which enduring is what God has in mind for you and I, not necessarily escaping. But let me just say this though quickly. There's a context here for this passage. It's, it's draped in his discussion on idolatry and, he, and we are commanded to do something in this setting. So some of us are waiting, you know the old story about the guy trying to be rescued from the flood, right? And he sent this and then, oh, no, no, God's going to rescue me. And he sent something, like, oh, God's going to rescue me. You guys have all heard that joke. Um, it, it's as though we're waiting. And I've heard people say this. They're, they're living in a setting, in a place of temptation, giving into something in their life. And, and they're waiting for God to do some Exodus type event. Like they're just, they're waiting. They're waiting. Well, do you know God has already said some things? That you may not need to wait for him to tell you something that's, wow, what an 11th hour revelation. In this context, kind of take this, put it in your wallet, take it with you for the rest of life, flee idolatry. All right, now go. That stays true. It's not like you get into a moment of temptation and your life is getting entangled with every form of sin and attractiveness and you're giving into these... I'm just waiting for God. I'm just waiting for God. Well, God told you a long time ago to flee idolatry. What are you waiting for? Why aren't you running? Why isn't that thing that keeps tempting you in your rearview mirror as far away as you can get? Why? Well, because I'm, you know, waiting for God to provide a way of escape. Your fleeing was the way. Running for your life spiritually was the way to get free of that temptation. And I may not be doing it. And so, listen, you know, if, you, if you're walking, if you're within arm's reach, you know, and you keep, you keep too close to things, run from some things in your life. It's godly. You've got sexual temptation in your life. Flee from that. Don't keep putting yourself within arm's reach of walking out your sexual urges. There's a humanity piece of you. It's just, it's just flesh and blood humanity. It just kind of does what it does. It doesn't have a lot of moral component to it. It's just chemicals and pleasure. and Get close enough and, and it kicks in. Boom. I'm here. I'm ready. That's not a good moment to start managing that. Flee from that setting. If if you're a person who's depressed and you're not content, stare out at life, you don't have this, you don't have that, you complain about this, complain about that, but you go on Facebook every day and watch everybody else's highlight reel. I know that's normal. I know that's like, well, that's what everybody does. Well, that's not good for you though. Because for you, it makes you miserable. It makes you angry. It makes you feel like somebody's messed you over. Well, flee. Flee, run from that thing. Quit wait for God to suddenly just show up and make me content. I'm just, you know, God said he'd be faithful. I'm just waiting for him. He already said what to do. 
But you might have to actually do it. Right? All right. Eric, you coming up here? Do you need an invitation? (laughs) Sent the guy a postcard. Invited him to come. All right, let's minister just for a moment in this category. Wow, we're 12 o'clock already. How does this happen? Let's stand up together. Lord, in this room this morning are people who have something in common. No temptation overtakes us except that which is common. God, we all share this in our profile. Temptation was part of our week. Temptation has been part of our season recently. Father, I want you to direct us here. Lord, these words are for our help as we face temptation. But they require something different. Lord, there's an escape from temptation. And then there's also an enduring of temptation. They call for something different. God, I pray right now your Holy Spirit would be making real to us. Which category am I in? In the temptations that are mattering the most to me right now. Lord, there are some here whose lives are being visited by temptation that they need to escape from. And the escape hatch that you are offering is for them to do something. They need to do something. They don't need to wait. They need to do. So Lord, for every person who's here this morning who... They are aware they have welcomed temptation by placing their lives too close to it. By not making any adjustment, by not making any changes. Lord, would you this morning change their circumstances by their obedience to you? That they would flee idolatrous rewards and pleasures that you have not offered to them but temptation has that they would decide this morning to be in agreement with you to heed what you have said God let grace stir obedient hearts this morning so that there might be many who escape today And Lord, there are some here who are in a season of temptation that they will need to endure. Lord, the reality is this season may not be going away anytime soon. It is tempting them to be afraid. It's tempting them to be angry. It's tempting them to despair. Tempting them to feel vulnerable. But Lord, you give grace. You are faithful. You give us grace. Every day of our life, Lord, every moment of temptation, you are faithful. 
So God, we pray for those in our midst. And our heart goes out, Lord, for some of us have been in seasons that just don't seem to have an end. God, our humanity cries out on behalf of everybody who's in that place. And God, we ask you, we come to your throne of grace, God, and we ask you to provide grace and mercy to help in this hour of temptation and need. Lord, for those who are enduring health problems, for those who are enduring the loss of a loved one, for those who are enduring singleness and loneliness, God, for those who are enduring a series of downturns and situations that are happening for reasons that don't have much of an explanation, God, we pray for grace to endure, to not give in to these temptations. Lord, we are never with reason to give in to temptations. God, would you let grace come that keeps despair at bay, keeps depression at bay, keeps fear from gaining its power over these lives. Lord, let there be grace to endure for every person being tempted not to in this place. I thank you for writing these things down for us. Oh, how we need them, Lord. We need them. For we live in daily battle with temptation but Lord we leave here today informed both of temptations attitude and action more importantly God we leave here informed that you are faithful you will be and always are all that we need for each and every day and every moment of our lives Lord we cling to that reality And we entrust ourselves to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah.